So today, I'm joined by Stacy Levy, who is the founder of Ellie's Army Foundation, which is a nonprofit organization that specializes in helping children suffering from life-threatening terminal illnesses, whether that be financially, emotionally, or in any other capacity. Ellie's Army Foundation is there to help. I am very excited to bring you this conversation today. So let's do it. Too many days in the darkness Without a glimpse of the light Running tired and broken and scared But I swear I'll never give up the fight I see you broken and beat Head pulled down over your eyes Every part of you wants to surrender Darling, you were meant to survive Thanks so much for taking the time, uh, Stacey. I really, really appreciate you getting back to me. And um, no, thank you for asking. Um, it's been it's been great. I've really been trying to reach out to a lot of um, different nonprofit um, organizations to try to speak with their leadership. But as I'm sure you know, they're all very busy. <laughs> I know, I know. Especially now with um, with COVID and a lot of changes and and everything. So right, um, right. I uh, wanted to, um, you know, speak with you, get really a great, great um, background from you, um, kind of where you started, where you are now. I mean, you, you're 20 years old now, right? The, um, the foundation? Yes. Yes. But, but we um, took a hiatus for a while. So we really are about, we really started again in 2017. Okay. So we're we kind of, you know, like are starting over. Okay. Kind of like yeah. branding almost. Yeah. Well, what happened was we started the foundation in 2001. It was called the reach for the stars foundation. And we were helping families that had cystic fibrosis. Um, what happened was we, you know, Ellie was born with CF and when she was around nine years old, we started spending a lot more time in the hospital and we started to see families who were struggling financially. Mm -hmm. So we decided to start the foundation. And then um, fast forward to 2014, Ellie passed away. And a couple of years after that, we decided to restart up the foundation okay. and um, we changed the name to Ellie's Army to honor her memory. And we changed our mission statement to include um, children and young adults with all life-threatening illnesses, not just cystic fibrosis. And, and Ellie, um, for people who don't know who are listening, Ellie's your, your daughter, correct? Who was born yes. in like the early 90s? Yep, 91. Yeah. Okay. And and cystic fibrosis, that's something like genetic. So she was born with that? Yes. Yes. She was both parents have to carry this gene. And um then there's a one in four chance in every pregnancy that the baby will have CF. 
So wow. Ellie was born with CF, but she did really well for um, a while. Mm -hmm. And then she was very healthy. It, it affects the lungs primarily and the digestive system. So um, she led a normal, I mean, normal in the sense that she was able to do everything, you know, yeah. she, um, she was very bright and, but it just was that her lungs were compromised. What it really is, is a, like a, almost a, it's like a salt imbalance. And so the mucus in the body is very thick and it, wherever you have mucus, it could be a problem. So, um, like in the lungs, what would happen is that the, it causes a lot of infections and blockages mm -hmm. and, um, you know, ultimately it deteriorates the lungs and, um, Ellie had a, uh, two double lung transplants at the end of her life. Oh, wow. Yeah. And, um, yeah, it, I mean, they're coming up with a lot of medications now that are helping um, people that have it to survive longer. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, unfortunately, it, it was a little late for Ellie. Yeah. Yeah. Is, is, it, is cystic fibrosis something that um, you'd be able to eventually cure? Is it curable yet? Or is no. it? No, it's a progressive disease. Okay. So the longer that, um, and like I said, it's most, it's primarily the lungs that give problems. Although, you know, we have mucus in all of our organs, so it affects everything, okay. but the lungs, um, over time, the, the mucus clogs the lungs and, and, and you have infections and, um, and it deteriorates the lungs over time. Okay. Okay. And, and she was, you said it was able to live pretty much as normal of a life as like another or any, anybody else. Yeah. That the, the difference is that in order to stay well, it requires a lot of treatments. So, um, like a typical day for Ellie would be to wake up and do, um, like a, a, a nebulizer with something that people with asthma use, okay. breathe in. And then we would do, um, and then there was another nebulizer that she would do that helps to thin the mucus. And then um, we would give her physical therapy, which was like, it was like cupping on different lobes of the lungs. And um, that would help to break up the mucus and then hopefully she could cough it up. And then she would do another breathing treatment with an antibiotic in it. Um, that was like when she was well. And then, she, you know, she, um, when she would eat, she would have to take these enzymes and, and different antibiotics. And so, I mean, she could take, when she was growing up, she could take maybe like 15 pills with a meal. And then, um, but then when, when people with CF get sick, the treatments get um, more intense. So what I just told you that she did in the morning, she did that three or four times a day. So you can imagine how much time t doing these treatments would take in, you know, somebody's life. Oh yeah. You know, just on a daily basis.
Yeah, if you're doing that every, every day, especially um, I can imagine, too, if it affects the lungs, did it ever affect her, like, did she ever have to slow down if she was, like, running around when she was younger? Oh, yeah. Tired quicker? Yeah, yeah. When she was younger, we were um, fortunate. We, we lived in New York, and we used to come down to Florida for the winters mm -hmm. because it was just a healthier environment for her and so she would do a lot of swimming and she was very active and she did you know very well so you wouldn't even i mean most of her life you would look at ellie and never know that she had anything wrong with her but it was like i said a deterioration over time and um when she went to college um I guess she probably wasn't doing her treatments as much as she should have been. And, um, and, um, it, it, it really, um, the, the deterioration speeded up at that sped up at that moment. And, um, she required a transplant. And is that, um, is that something that's normal with cystic fibrosis? You're kind of expected, okay, eventually I'm going to have to have, this transplant or this surgery done? Is that kind of like, you know, that that's going to happen? I think so. Yeah. I think that, that, that at this point is the best option at, the, at when you're in end stage lung disease, yeah. um, that, you know, that's, what's going to save your life. Yeah. So Ellie had, um, a transplant, um, she was at Duke university medical center and she, and after about five days, her lungs just, the new lungs um, went bad. They don't really even know what happened. Um, so she was put on the transplant list again, and she was put on life support where she stayed um, for about a month. Oh, wow. And it was... Um, you know, it was a very trying time and it was hit or miss in terms of, you know, there were many times that we almost lost her during that time, but she was really a fighter and she managed to have the second transplant. She, she got the transplant and she was doing well. She got out of the hospital eventually and she had to go through like a rehab program to strengthen her lungs and her body and um, to be in, in order to be discharged. Yeah. And she was discharged. She was driving home from North Carolina back to Florida with a friend. And when she got to Georgia, she caught a virus. Mm. And what happened was you know, when you get a transplant, you're on immunosuppressant um, medications. And so um, she couldn't fight the virus. So she got very sick. They had to ambulance her back to Duke. And she was in the hospital for a few months. And she ended up never coming out of the hospital. Oh. The, uh, yeah, it, would, it just, um, you know, it just ravaged her. Yeah. No, yeah. I'm, you know, definitely very, very sorry to. to oh, thank you. Um, I'm sure you kind of had, you know, plans in the in the months after too, still with treatments with her, and then something like that happens, and it kind of. Yeah. You know, you kind of 
expect that she'll she'd get sick in the future and so but then when it actually happens you know to that severity um it's yeah gotta be um you know quite like heart hitting um yeah i, I can only imagine people with cystic fibrosis right now with coronavirus i mean wouldn't they very would frightening think, yeah they, they'd have to be in the same category as someone in their 70s or 80s right now i'd assume yeah very very frightening but people are able to get the vaccine which yeah. is which is good and um you know, it's funny because when COVID came around, everybody became very aware of uh, germs and, you know, masks and washing your hands and, yeah. you know, being paranoid to a certain extent. And that's the way that we lived with Ellie her whole life. We were always uh, in fear of her getting sick yeah. because if she got sick, it would turn into something much worse than, you know, if you or I got sick. Yeah. So we were always afraid of that. So, you know, we saw somebody coughing or we like, um, we would screen people that were coming into our house. Yeah. You'd have to. Yeah. So she, you know, it was, a, it, it was a different, it was a, it was the kind of life people are living now. Yeah. I was that we say. lived. <laughs> yeah. That's how people are living now is how we really spent our lifetime. Yeah. Yeah. That's it's, it's interesting. And I'm sure you, it's almost like you, you see people now running around, w running around with the wipes, making sure their house is clean. Um, you know, kind of screening and questioning people every single time they come in. Yeah. And you know, you're probably like that, you know, that's how I've felt for the last, like for 22 straight years. Yes. Yes. Um, that's, that's wild. Yeah. That's yeah. Wild that you kind of were like your, your whole life was the COVID years almost um, yeah. to a certain extent. I can only imagine now. Um, yeah. Now it must be awful. Yeah, I mean, if 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 Ellie was still with us and and we had COVID going around, I could only imagine. It would be very much. scary. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, but um, I'm definitely um, uh, you know, on a on a positive note, um, excited to hear about the foundation, and I'm sure that Ellie's um story had uh a lot, if not everything, to do with you know why you why you got started and why you're still um going going with it now. Um, Absolutely. And, and Ellie was a Ellie was such a fighter. I yeah. mean, um, her her, you know, and and the, and her final days at Duke were kind of a culmination of her spirit. Um, you know, when she was put on that uh, on life support, one of the things that they put her on was a machine called ECMO. And what ECMO is, is it puts the lungs at rest. So they're not working and they have a cannula in your, in your neck and the blood comes out of the cannula and goes through this circuit, which oxygenates the blood. And then there's another cannula that goes back into your neck, which returns the oxygenated blood into your system. So this machine is actually doing the job of your lungs the breathing for you yes it it's uh. putting the oxygen in, in into your lungs which is what your you know into your blood which is what the your lungs do yeah. and um she they felt that it was very important for her to stay in the best physical condition that she could so that she would be able to be strong enough to fight yeah. that for that next transplant and she was up walking with that machine and this was like 
it was like Frankenstein kind of stuff. It would take eight people to walk with her because they had to hold the cannula. Oh, and yeah, because that's, that's not like an oxygen tank, right? That's, that's No, that's like, you know, like you're, you know, this is attached to like your blood, you know? Yeah. And so she was walking with um, that and, sh um, you know, at the time she walked the furthest that anybody had walked in not only in Duke, but they keep up with other hospitals um, after a transplant. So, yeah. she, you know, she was really a fighter and she had a very strong spirit. She um, made the best out of being in the hospital. She had very close relationships with the people that worked in the hospital mm -hmm. because Ellie never felt sorry for herself. She never, she accepted that this was her life. And if she was in the hospital, rather than her being like, you know, I can't wait to get out of here and I can't believe I'm in the hospital, yeah. you know, she just made that her life. Yeah. So, you know, it became, you know, her relationships with the, with the nurses and the doctors, um, you know, they were very special because she just accepted that this was it and she was fighting. Obviously, she wanted to get out, but she didn't have any of those, you know, why me moments, really. Um, and so her fight and her spirit really helps us with the foundation because, um, you know, we keep that with us to fight for these other families who are struggling so much and these other children and young adults who are fighting for their lives. Um, that philosophy that that Ellie lived with yeah. um, has become the like culture for for the people that are working with us. And um, she was fun. So we try to make everything fun. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, she's still very much a part of the organization. No, yeah, yeah, definitely. And I, I think she'll, uh, I think she'd always, always be like kind of like that backbone um, to it, you know, because it's kind of like always giving someone hope in terms of looking up to somebody or um, kind of somewhere to, somewhere to look, um, you know, for positivity. And I, um, I read an article, I think um, you, you had an interview with to where you had said, you know, you kind of sometimes look back and ask yourself, well, you know, what would Ellie's perspective be um, mm -hmm. right now? Or, you know, what would her outlook be? And then you kind of use that as an approach. And I thought that that was like such a good perspective that most people uh, just don't don't have or don't refer back to anything in moments of, you know, struggle or, or doubt um, or insecurity where, um, you know, I think that that helps to put our feet back on the ground and, um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And, um, you know, she, 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 I'm not just saying this because she was my daughter. I mean, maybe a little bit more because she was my <laughs> daughter, <laughs> but she, um, she had a wisdom about her yeah. and she, and, and the way that she viewed life 
was, you know, she just packed it in. She loved life. She wanted to experience as much as she could. She wanted to live to the, to the fullest. And so, um, she wanted to be happy, you know, she, um, because enjoying time is, is, is so important. We're here for such a short time. And she knew that her life wouldn't be long. So she did, she tried to, you know, make it as wonderful a life as it could have been and did Mm -hmm. so much really. And, um, you know, so that helps us with the foundation. You know, it also helps me as her mother in my own grief, you know, I can't, you know, I, I, she would be very disappointed if I sat around feeling sorry for myself, you know, like I have to live like she lived and enjoy life and, you know, make the best of it and, and do as much as I can to make an impact. She was very much about impact and helping others. And, um, you know, so I try, like I, like you were saying, I try to live like Ellie did. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I can only imagine how tough sometimes it, it can be, you know, with, um, you know, birthdays coming around anniversaries of, of certain important dates of her life and, and things like that too. Um, but, um, that, that's, that's something just where you can go back to and kind of remind yourself about her, her personality, yeah, kind of like her her funness, if that's a, if that's a word, cause from yeah. the, the videos I watched about her and, um, you know, from doing a little bit of research, she kind of just, just outgoing, um, yes. you know, which is something that, uh, especially in times, times like this, you know, where, where COVID, um, is starting to make a second, um, second at bat. I did, uh, I did read a, a, a story that I'd love for you to, um, kind of expand on and, and, uh, tell more about in, in detail regarding the, the organization, what you guys, what you guys do, the Lindsay Taylor story. I, I'd love for you to kind of go into a little bit of detail with that. Cause I read an article about that, uh, about how she had cystic fibrosis, you know, then their, their house had like a, a pipe burst or so. Yes. Yes. So what happened with Lindsay is her, um, her, her parents were already, you know, using up most of their resources just to keep her healthy. And then a pipe burst in her house and she, um, and they started to get mold and, um, obviously that's, you know, it's, that's very threatening to somebody who has a lung disease. Oh yeah. You know, yeah. It's, it's just, that's like the worst. It's like kind of having coronavirus in your house almost. Right. Right. So, um, we've, and we've had several people come to us with that issue where there's been mold in the, mm-hmm. um, house. We actually are helping a family now. This was an interesting, uh, family, um, they there was mold in the house and the landlord refused to take care of it Mm. and then rather than um correct the problem they sold the building so now these people were being evicted and they didn't have money to start over with a security deposit and, you know, first and last month's rent, you know, they just, they really didn't, um, they didn't know where to turn. Yeah. 
So what they did was they bought a shack and they turned it into one of those tiny houses. And so they, when they came to the foundation, they needed help to actually turn, you know, you like sheet rock and yeah. Yeah. Oh, and they needed to bring electric to the house. So they needed all of that wiring and, um, and in the meantime, they needed to stay in a hotel. So we put them up in a hotel for a few weeks and they're, they're actually working on it now, trying to get that house prepared so that they would be able to live in it. And um, it, 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 was, it was a smart idea for them because they're putting it on a family member's property okay. and, they, and they don't have to pay rent or anything like that. So it's really going to keep their expenses down because they're, you know, always coming up against medical bills and, um, you know, so that's how the foundation helped this family. So we're always, it's, you know, always on an individual basis. Yeah. We, we, um, you know, we just try to help these families so that they can move forward and, um, be in a safe place with their children. Yeah but also to relieve that stress because when you're dealing with a sick child, it's so much stress already. And, you know, it's so much um, emotional energy being used for that. And then to have to worry whether you're going to have a roof over your head, you know, I mean, that's just too much. So, um, especially a a healthy roof too, because, um, you know, if you have a roof, but yet you have mold, um, right? And then somebody it, has a lung disease. I mean, that's like, yeah, yeah. You're living in poison, basically. Yeah. You know, it'd be yeah. like us living underwater. Yeah, yeah. It's very difficult, and it happens a lot. I mean, we've get we've gotten um, a lot of people that have come with that issue. Yeah. Um, and, and do they? Um, do you guys? Um, seek out people or do people come to you guys for help or is it kind of like a a mix? Well, it's a mix um, because we've been growing um, in terms of what we're able to do to help people. We've, we've had, um, we have a really successful uh, walkathon event and we've increased our donations. And like I said, we're growing. So we're able to help more people. So um, uh, lately, I've been spending a lot of time reaching out to different hospitals across the country because we don't just help people in Florida. We help people nationally. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So, um, you know, we're reaching out to the different social work departments to let them know about us, and hopefully they'll use us as a resource um, the Cystic Fibrosis Foundation has a, uh, a division that helps people helps connect people to resources. So we get a lot of um, referrals from them. We're known in the CF community just because we've been in it for so long. Yeah. Um, but we don't, like I said, we don't only help people with cystic fibrosis. So we're trying to get the word out to other um uh, populations. And, um, 
we're doing that by reaching out to the different hospitals. Okay. Yeah. So hopefully we'll be getting um, more, um, you know, uh, applications and, and yeah, yeah. And we really try to work with each individual. Um, you know, like I said, we're trying to make a difference in their lives. Mm-hmm. So we don't just look to put a bandaid on the situation. Um, for example, um, somebody might need to, you know, get, uh, um, get pay a month's rent and then, you know, and that's what they need in the emergency. But when we get an application, first of all, we, we comb through those applications and really make sure that these people need the assistance that they're requesting, because obviously we're, you know, we have to be, do our due diligence and make anybody could ask for money. Um, you know, we, you know, people donate their money to our organization. We have to be good stewards of that and make sure that we're really helping people that need to be helped. Um, But while we're going through their applications and seeing the different financial um, issues, we're able to see where they might need help in other areas than what they're actually asking for. So somebody might need rent um, and that would make their situation okay, but we want to make an impact in their lives so that they could really get back on their feet. So we might do three months rent. Okay. Um, yeah, because you want it to be sustainable, right? Exactly. Um, we want them to get back on their feet so they could move forward. And um, I I think that it was Lindsay, actually, um, that we they had a tremendous amount of credit card debt Mm-hmm. And we saw that, and while they were asking for help with the mold, we we realized that they were just paying the interest off on their credit card bills. They weren't doing you know, anything to the it, yeah to the yeah principle yeah yeah <laughs> right exactly. And that's what that's the the business model you know of the you know the credit card companies right exactly. So we paid off their credit card bill so that they were able to get on top of their financial situation and move forward. And, um, you know, they weren't expecting that. They were expecting us to give them the month's rent. But we actually did a survey with the um, families that we assisted, and 100% of the families and 100% of the hospital workers that referred them. Yeah, said that Ellie's army made a life-changing impact. So um, that's something that we feel really good about. I I do like that approach from you guys too, to where when somebody reaches out and they say, hey, I really, really just need you to do this. You guys kind of taking a step back, reflecting and kind of analyzing the whole situation to being like, well, if they want this, A, can we do this? And B, what would is there something better that we can do that would actually really, really actually help them rather than just a, um, a crutch? Um, because right. I think that's important. Cause I think that a lot of times in, in times of need, you know, everyone just looks at what's right in front of them, you right. know, not, not realizing that. I mean, there's 20 other walls right after that one. Right. If you guys 
you know, getting past that first wall being like, all right, well, how do we kind of get, get ahead here? So this doesn't keep happening. Right. Exactly. Um, I, I think that's, that's great. And it probably is eye opening to them too, to where, you know, they ask for something and then you return it with something a little bit more, um, well, well put, well organized, um, and, and, and thought out than just maybe, you know, what's, what's right in front of them. I think that that's, um, a great approach to like analyze really the entire situation. Cause when you're in that situation, I can only imagine, I mean, you're not really thinking yeah. um, down the road, you know, you're just thinking, you just got to get out of the situation that you're in right then. Yeah. 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 I, um, I wanted to ask you on the, um, the, the applications too, that you guys accept and, and so forth. Do you, have you guys came across people who um, submit applications that, you know, aren't aren't necessarily what you know you guys would are looking to to help with to where maybe their motive is not not really cystic fibrosis related you think it might be more of like a, a scam a fraud or so because we um that, that with coronavirus that's really became a big issue when right relief covid funding relief has has been sent out i work in uh in real estate and you know we the amount of applications we received of people pretending to be other people for money you know it just it w became rampant and yes. um in miami especially i think a lot of the major cities everything became virtual you didn't have to meet people in person which kind of created a quicker process and that became a concern in, in my field. I saw it on the, the government's end enormously when yes. they're shelling out tens of thousands, if not millions of dollars to, to restaurants, to places, to businesses that may not even exist. And then I didn't even think about the effect that it would have on nonprofits to where, you know, people, all you have to do is submit an application and then maybe have a phone call and then, and then you might have access to money that people donated yes. to a good cause. Um, and once in a while you see these, you know, stories come across the news, but, um, you know, the, when you had brought up the, the application process before I wanted to ask you about that on if you guys have had any, especially during COVID, if, if, um, how you deal with those two, cause, uh, I, I we haven't, imagine. yeah, we haven't really had people that have, um, we haven't gotten applications that were completely fraudulent. No, okay. Nice. No, we've never gotten that. <laughs> but one of the that. things that come across sometimes that we, um, and it's hard because, you know, you feel bad that a person is in the position that they're in. But, you know, we, we try to help people that have run out of their own resources. And um, we've received applications where, you know, we, and we comb through their bank, um, bank statements and their credit card statements. And, you know, so it's like, uh, like, it's almost like a little forensic um, like audit almost. Yes. And when you start to see like Victoria's secret, Victoria's secret, you know, like all of this, <laughs> yeah, yeah. you know, I mean, we, you know, we, we can't, that's not the person that we're, that we're going to be helped. I mean, they might end, they might've ended up in a bad position, Yeah. but, um, you know, we can't, we can't pay for people to, um, you know, do that and then yeah. 
help well, them out. Yeah, you want to be confident knowing that, you know, you, you're helping out people that are doing everything they can to help themselves and they just yes. don't have the resource to. That makes that right. sense. Well, like I said, you know, our donors are trusting us with their money yeah. and we have to make sure that we, um, you know, are, are handling it respectfully and carefully and um, that we're really meeting our mission statement, which is to help people that, you know, are struggling because of their illness and um, life situations that they, you know, that it's just gotten to be too much. Yeah. Yeah. When we tell somebody what we're going to be able to do to help them, you know, it, it, very often there's a silence on the phone and the person, you know, needs to like compose themselves because there's such relief in, in what we've told them that yeah. they, you know, they could breathe and this, you know, the stress is alleviated and I get to hear that, you know, Romina yeah. gets to hear that. Um, I wish that all of our donors could hear that because it makes it very worthwhile. And, um, you know, to truly, it's a very humbling experience. And, you know, you, you see firsthand how you're truly making a difference in another person's life and helping them to get back on track. Um, you know, it's very meaningful. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's gotta be, um, got to go a long way and you got to, at the end of the day, feel very good about yourself, you know, especially, um, especially volunteering too, to where you probably have a, a full-time job and, um, you know, family friendship commitments too. What do some of your volunteers do? Do they help with the applications? Do they help to try to in reach out and outreach? Do they, uh, what are some of the roles? So, um, a lot of the volunteers that we've had so far are people, a lot of them are, are helping us with fundraising. Okay. Um, so even like people having a barbecue at their house and, um, you know, inviting their friends and asking them to make a $25 donation so that that money would go to the, the charity. Um, we have a big event that um, is called the Dirty Socks 5K Run and Walkathon in Aventura every year. And we always need volunteers for that day. Um, it was, it's a great, it's a great event. It's, it, we just had our third one and it's growing substantially. We did much more than we had, you know, originally anticipated. And, um, I think that people that volunteer for that feel very good about um, being a part of such a um, great day. Um, I could tell you the reason why it's called Dirty Socks is yeah, because- Yeah, I was gonna ask you. <laughs> yeah, um, when Ellie had her transplants, like I said, it was very important for her to be as strong as she could. So the doctors mm. would always tell her that they wanted her to walk. 
and she would have to do laps around the hospital. And she had one surgeon in particular who she had a very close relationship with. And he used to tell her he wanted to see dirty socks because that would prove that she had been walking. Um, uh, okay. Okay. Yeah. And so one day she gave him her dirty socks in a bag <laughs> and, um, and he said that he would keep them in his office for the rest of his life. And Aww. he recently sent us a picture of those socks hanging in his office. Um, that's cute. Yeah. He, uh, that's very powerful. I have to say it's, that's, that's definitely something, uh, remembering full, you know, that's that guy. That, that goes a long way. Yeah. So, you know, all kids wear medical socks. And so when they're in the hospital, so, you know, we take that day and we're basically walking for them. Yeah. Yeah. And, 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 um, and it's a 5k you said it's a 5k and a walkathon. Okay. So we have runners and, um, and we have walkers and we have, um, we have a village that has different um, companies take tents and mm -hmm. we have a DJ and it, it, some food trucks. It's, it's a fun day. That it's a fun day. Nice. And people are very inspired by it and um, it's been growing. So, good, yeah, good. so that's a great volunteer opportunity too. Yeah, yeah, that, that does. And w when is it every year? Well, we originally, the first two years, it was on Martin Luther King's birthday. Last okay. year, we had to push it um, to April to um, because of COVID. Mm. Um, we did it at the end of April when things were first starting to open up. And this year, we haven't chosen a date yet, but we believe that it's going to be in, um, it'll be in February or March. So okay. we're just about ready to pick out the date. So that's awesome. Yeah. That's yeah. Awesome. It's, it's a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm, I'm sure you guys are always, um, trying to think of or, or do s similar events as well, especially cause it, it's gotta, um, help, help with fundraising a lot, you know, those types yes. of things. Right. And, and just kind of like give an overall awareness to, to yes. Yes, a lot of people have gotten involved because they went to the walk. And once they understand our mission and learn about us, um, most people want to get involved. You know, it's it's something that's important because it's, you know, like I said, it's hard enough to have a sick child or to be a young adult that is sick. Yeah. And, you know, having to pay your own bills and not being able to work when you're sick. Um, you know, we have people that come to us that lost their jobs because they've had to spend so much time in the hospital. And then the next yeah. thing you know, they can't pay their rent. Um, yeah. Or they can't afford uh, medication or therapy. Even little things like um, be, like nutritional supplements, you know, like Ensure or Boost, those those drinks are so expensive. Yeah. I think for a six pack, it's like $10. Yeah. And you can, you know, need to drink a couple of a day. Mm -hmm. So that could really add up. And but it could make a major difference in your health when you, you know, when you have to gain weight and you need to get, you know, nutrition 
you, you know, those things really make a difference, but the, that's something that falls away so quickly because it seems like it's an extra, Yeah. you know? And so we've purchased a lot of, um, nutritional supplements for people. That's, um, that's good. Are, do you have any, um, any outlets for people that are, um, that are ex experiencing like the same, the same issue. Like, is there your go-to is like Costco or Sam's club or one of the, um, you know, to buy these, these important items in, in bulk. Um, would you have any recommendation to someone who's looking, who's running into the same problem saying, Hey, I need these you know, five or 10 a day and it's getting expensive. Um, yeah. Is there any, any place you would maybe point them or, I I haven't found any place in you know that um, people could buy that buy it in bulk. Okay. Um. And these things tend to be expensive. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um. That reminded me um of a of a story um when I was uh, one of my high school teachers um, was explaining to us part of their the teachers kind of like. PTO and their sick days and how they worked. And I, there was a, a big change in the, the sick day system to where this one teacher had a, he wasn't terminally ill, but he was consistently sick, battling a, a disease. I forget what it was. And he kept on coming in because he was, he was ran out of sick days. Um, so all the teachers would see him trickling into school, just trying to teach. And I mean, he was just, you know, looking, looking awful. And they ended up making a, um, a change to the sick days to where you could have a portion of everyone's sick days, almost kind of like how taxes work. Right. All the teachers could go into the sick day bank. Yes. And, um, you know, that's that, wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. I, th I thought that was a great idea. Um, yeah. You, that's terrific. You never know when, when either tragedy or illness can yes. strike and then um you know y your sick days run out pretty pretty quick and then it's either yeah you know you take a leave and you don't have income anymore while you're sick um mm -hmm. so it reminded me though before when you were um yes that, that. i've heard of police um doing that yeah i've i've heard a couple of stories with that um, I think that's gr you know great, but unfortunately, most people don't have access to that kind of uh, relief. Yeah, yeah, especially if they're in you know private business, working hourly, th things like that. Yeah, um, you know they don't have those kind of like um, you know uh, group benefits. That kind of support, and a lot of times, what happens is that a family. You know, a, a parent needs to be in the hospital with their child. So like you said, they either wouldn't get paid for the time that they missed or sometimes they lose their jobs completely. Yeah. Um, but, you know, you need to be in the hospital with your child when they're sick. Um, yeah. That was how this whole thing started was that when Ellie was a child, she we were we were spending a lot of time in the hospital and there was another little boy there who also was spending a lot of time in the hospital and he was always alone mm -hmm. and ellie you know had asked me why he was always alone because you know we were fortunate enough that you know i never left the hospital or my husband was there if i did 
um, she never had to be alone. And um, we came to find out that his mother was a single mother. She had other children. She needed to work two jobs to be able to support them. So when the child was in the hospital, she knew he was safe, but she couldn't really visit him. You know, she had to take care of her other children and she had to work. Yeah, that's awful. So this poor kid was spending all this time alone. And um, that was really um, the situation that sparked the idea for the foundation. Um, You know, it upset Ellie tremendously to see that. Yeah. And... um, you know, we did a lot of talking about it and decided, you know, this this is something that we need to try to to do something about. Yeah. And, and that's that's interesting, too. Even um, even giving Ellie like a different perspective on life, you know, even like the the scenario she she was in, too. She could always look to to someone in that position and be like, oh, wow, that little boy, like even though me and him may be in similar positions, you know, I have maybe a, a consistently supportive group behind me with my family, my parents always coming around and and then looking at at his situation, giving her even a different perspective on. Uh, Absolutely. On, on things, too. That, that's, yeah, well, that's that was cool. Ellie. Ellie, you know, chose to count her blessings rather than look to yeah. see what was, um, you know, what what wasn't working. Yeah. And um, and we all have blessings. And, you know, that's what we need to focus on because, um, you know, I, I, I taught Ellie from a very young age that in a lot of ways we were very lucky that this happened to us because we learned very early on that uh, life is precious and that it's short and that you need to live it to its fullest and love people to your fullest. And, um, and so we got to do a lot of that at a very young age and, um, pack in as much as we could, where a lot of people unfortunately don't realize that until, you know, way down the road and they didn't have the opportunity to, um, you know, live so fully and, um, you know, ha- have those relationships. And, yeah. um, and I think that she really believed that. And she always knew she had it. She always, you know, we never hid anything from her. Mm-hmm. Um, but she's, you know, she, she got to do a lot of things because of it. You know, we, we, Every year we had these big galas and um, we had a lot of celebrities and sports people there. And, you know, she got to enjoy all of that. Every year at the galas, she sang. She had a beautiful singing voice. As a matter of fact, if you go on the website, there's a video. I don't know if you saw it. I did watch that video. Yeah. Yes. That's Ellie singing. Uh, Yeah. Because she's like giggling in a lot. Yeah. She's laughing. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, she felt like she got a lot, she got a lot, there were a lot of benefits to it for her, 
if you if you could you know if you could say that yeah 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 to a degree because you kind of have like a little bit of a a special treatment to it to yes i mean i always used to say you got to find the perks Mm -hmm. so you know we used to get to come down to florida for the winters you know how many people were coming to florida for the winters and um you know, if it wasn't because of her CF, we never would have been able to do that. Yeah. Or one of the things Ellie always loved to do is take a wheelchair in the airport and we would get through really quickly through security. Oh, that's right. <laughs> yes. Things you don't think about. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> she used to say, I earned it. <laughs> <laughs> and we would get to, and she, you know, that was one of the perks. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you, you know, you have a lung disease, you get to, you know, go go in a wheelchair even at times when she probably could have walked (laughs) yeah yeah, yeah. you gotta gotta use it you know my um my grandmother whenever she visited from florida um would always bring her um handicapped parking decal right (laughs) she didn't leave that at home (laughs) right (laughs) it's true so you got to look for the good in situations and you know this is life you know, life is hard. It's, we, we're under this impression that it's supposed to be easy, you know, like everybody will say, you know, it's not fair, but what is fair when everything goes your way? You know, is that fair? Um, I feel like that's, that is kind of, it's a great point that I've never heard it like said that way. Um, but I feel like it, that's that's the perception a lot of the time. It, yeah, of you know, course. If, if it doesn't go my way, it's not fair. Rather than kind of taking into account all the other, um, you know, outside influence and things that happen that you sure. just can't control. Right. Or why me? You know, why not me? You know, I mean, it, these things happen. So why wouldn't it happen to me? It happens to other people. You know, I'm just I'm another other person. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and it's it's funny too when we we kind of consider that reflection the why me only when um kind of with with negative things, right? Right. You know, it's it, we never say why me, you know, if we if we won the lotto, or, uh, <laughs> yeah, or, or got the you know got a great job or something does happen our way, right? Uh, we never we never question the why me on that. So it's kind of yes. thing that we're always kind of um kind of thinking internally, you know, just for, for our benefit. Um, right. The time exactly. It's interesting, the psychology on that. Yeah. Um, Cause you, you do hear that a lot, you know, the, either the, the why me or the, um, you know, this happened to me, but it's great that, you know, Ellie too kind of didn't, didn't have that. I feel like that's why also she did have that brighter light. It sounds yeah. like, in her, you know? Yeah. Yeah, she did. She, um, she was a philosophy major mm-hmm. and, um, she was a deep thinker and, um, you know, like to look at the big questions and, um, she, you know, she, I think that she got it a lot. I think she got it. Yeah. So, um, I think that made her life easier in a, in a lot of ways for her, you know, she sought the answers and was able to have peace around stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That, that, that makes a lot of sense. I think being a philosophy major too, people who really decide to, to study that they're kind of okay with not knowing 
like every single answer. It should mm -hmm. so the they want to research mm -hmm. as much as they can and kind of know the basis around a lot of questions rather mm -hmm. than knowing the answers. I mm -hmm. feel like if that if that makes sense a little bit. Yeah, yeah. And try to make sense of it. Yeah, yeah. I would say that more than than finding the answer to questions, just making sense of the question itself. Right. Because with philosophy too, I mean, you when you start discussing death too and and dying and a lot of the unknowns that are around too, those conversations can go on forever. Yes. She actually developed a course when she was in college. She developed a course called The Philosophy of Death and Dying. And she taught it with um with the professor? Professor, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Um yeah, she, you know, she was, try I'm sure she was trying to make sense of, of her own life. I wanted to ask you with the organization, you know, you guys have done great work with. And like we are, we take part in Giving Tuesday, which is the, um, the International Day of Giving. It's kind of like the counter to. Um, Black Friday. And, and Cyber Monday. So those oh, are days, <laughs> those are days of, of purchasing. And yeah. this is a day of giving back. And um, it's the Tuesday after, um, after Cyber Monday. That's relieving to hear. Um, yeah, around that time, because there's nothing like, you know, Thanksgiving comes around and everyone's, you know, praying at their, their kitchen table, thankful for everything. And then in 24, 48 hours, they're just like fighting like uh <laughs> like kids over over stuff in the in the store so it's, yeah <laughs> it's relieving that someone's trying to keep the thanksgiving yes thanksgiving tradition yes you know? yeah beautiful. all charities uh, i mean a lot of charities take part in that day good all over the world it and we've raised a decent amount of money we used to fundraise for the cystic fibrosis foundation for many years but like i said once we saw these families suffering you know, you have to stay as healthy as possible until they find a cure. And you then you need money to be able to stay healthy. Yeah. So, um, you know, we always said that we were bridging that gap. Um, oh, that's a good way to put it. Yeah. That gap till then. What, what, what is the life expectancy of someone with, with CF? Um, I think that, I think, you know, I haven't kept up with it since they, they've, come out with some new medications just recently. But um, I think when Ellie passed away, it was that half of the people live to be 30. We have a, a fund that we set up at Duke called Ellie's Fund. And, and there we're helping people to um, afford the costs associated with transplant. Okay. So a lot of times people have to relocate to um, go to these hospitals and that could be very expensive. And, you know, most people can't afford a second residence and, you know, you need to be there for four five, six months. We were there from January until November. We were at Duke. Yeah. That's usually um, for most people, not, not within even a half hour, an hour, I'm sure. Yeah, a yeah. Shot of, of where they live. 
Right. So, you know, that's, um, it's a lot of money and they need to fundraise and, um, you know, we've helped a lot of people who maybe needed a second transplant and couldn't afford to relocate back, um, or were sick and had to keep going back and couldn't afford the travel. The other thing is with a lot of these transplant programs, you need to be able to show that you have a certain amount of money accessible in order to be even accepted into the transplant program. At Duke, it's about $15,000. Oh, wow. Because you need to pay rent. You need to, yeah. you know, pay all of those medications. When Ellie died, she was taking like 90 pills a day. Oh, shit. That is a lot. Yes. Yes. Because of all of the... Um, 90 pills a day. Holy yep. shit. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it was a lot. <laughs> yeah. I, <laughs> you know? I, I don't know if I take that in, in like a year. And I know. Including like Advil, Dayquil. Yes. Like, I know. <laughs> 90 pills a day she was taking oh. around. And wow. and she had diabetes at the time because of, because of the um, transplant. You know, you're on steroids and steroids... A lot of yeah, times yeah. when you're on steroids, you can get diabetes. So it's a lot and you have to be able to afford it. And unfortunately, these transplant programs, you know, there are a limited amount of organs out there and they need to give them to people that are going to be able to sustain and, and you know, and for it to be successful. And if you don't have the funds, unfortunately, it's not going to be successful. So... Um, you know, we try to help people with that so that they are candidates for transplant. I'm under the impression that those like take a while, you know, there's a wait list. There's like either like an application process or it's, mm -hmm. it's not promised either. Right. Um, you know, so it's just it, to, to kind of put ourselves in, in those shoes, you need a transplant and your life depends on it. And then, there's a wait list for it and eventually you you know would get one um but then you'd also have to go through the surgery and the process itself of the actual transplant so i mean yes. once you're on the wait list it's not the it's not the end game once you get one it's not the end game you have to go through the surgery as well and and all those anxieties and feelings and yeah it's a very intense process and there are people that don't make it to um to transplant i mean you know i've seen people that have been on the list and they didn't get the organs in time and passed away when ellie was originally on the transplant list she was in new york at columbia presbyterian and she um was waiting and she was getting sicker and they don't get as many organs as Duke does. So we had to pull her out of New York and get her accepted into Duke. And you also can't be too sick. Um, you have to be strong enough to sustain the transplant. Yeah, I was going to say, it, it kind of sounds like the longer you wait, the more ill you're going to get and then the less likely you're going to live. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, um, 
you know, thankfully she was accepted and they even have like a rehab program that you have to complete before you can actually be listed. You have to be strong enough to sustain the transplant so that it'll be successful. It's all about, you know, ha having somebody live and, you know, and, and have a new lease yeah. on life. And, and who, who makes these, um, the, the decisions or like, who gets what transplant, how long the, the process takes, the final approval? Is it, is it the doctors? Is it like the, the board of the hospital? Is there just a, a process that's black and white? Um, or is there some discretion with on the human level of, okay, we're going to give this to this person? Yeah, the um, the team at at Duke they they have a trans uh, transplant program, okay. and the team make that decision. And they you know there are a lot of different criteria yeah. for you to meet, and then there's a national list, and um, depending on your the severity, like um, when once Ellie's first transplant failed, she was put up to the top of the list. Okay. for the second transplant. But there's a lot of things that, you know, the lungs have to be viable. They, you know, they have to be, they have to be in good condition. You, they have to match your blood type. They have to, you know, there's so many different criteria as to whether or not the lungs are going to be appropriate for one person or the next. So um, it's a lot of hit and miss. Yeah. We definitely take for granted. Um, the complexity of of all of that um yeah i feel like there's just in the back of our minds it's oh well you need that well just get the get surgery go to the doctor get a transplant we you know right. take into account the uh you know it's not taking change out of your pocket i mean yeah got, these doctors are incredible amazing and then there's the whole process to where you know it might not even work it's, it's kind of like kind of i don't want to say luck at first to just have that match but it just circumstances out of everyone's control yes and then the doctors have to go in and use their skills and and how long are those surgeries i mean 10 10 plus hours i gotta assume oh yeah yeah easily yeah i think that they were like 13 14 hours i can't even imagine being in such deep focus for that I know. I don't think I ever have been in my life. Um, yeah. Because the normal attention span before you start to lose off is like 35 minutes, I think. Mm -hmm. Or that's why I think college classes are, you know, about 40, 50 minutes. But then, you know, you get, I mean, even watching Netflix, I can't even pay attention <laughs> for an hour, an hour and a half before I start to drift. And, and yeah, are, are in there masked up, all no skin showing, covered staring down for for that long yeah is, yeah is wild when someone gets a lung transplant those lungs i'm a you know would have to obviously come from a, a deceased person it's not something mm -hmm. you can donate right um, and then they also have to be within the same age bracket or does it no matter it doesn't it doesn't matter the okay. size matters so the size matters yeah but um no it doesn't matter the age Okay. Where the lungs come from, they'd, they'd have to be so the, similar in, in height, maybe if, if, if that matters with lung size, but I um, think so. Yeah. Yeah. 
and they'd have to come from somebody who who died um, with nothing affecting their lungs too. Like they couldn't be like a cancer patient who died exactly smoked and, and right everything. right. That's that's really interesting because there's, yeah. there's got to be such a small percentage of, of mm -hmm. people who a pass away with you know a decently healthy body and then their lungs not being affected by it mm -hmm. and then more importantly that them being an organ donor when they do pass and then after that the organs are still good to be used after they pass and they're not right. kind of either decomposed or whoever was doing the autopsy and right and they got to move fast they have yeah, to move yeah. fast so yeah i mean we're talking a tiny tiny percentage yeah of 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 the ability to get these these yes yes and that's why it's so important for people to be organ donors yeah because um you know those organs you know they give somebody life yeah they give somebody the chance to live and um i think that there are like eight organs that you could um, use from a person. Um, so, you know, that you could save eight lives. Yeah. Yeah, you could. Do people know the person whose organs they came from? Um, there's a process that you can reach out or they could reach out to you. Um, so, you, um, if you've had an, uh, uh, transplant, you could write a letter to okay. the, um, donor's family and then the family could choose whether or not to respond. And, you know, um, then there could be a dialogue, but it's, um, that's the only way to go about it. You know, okay. there's certain privacy issues. Oh yeah. I was going to say a lot of, yeah. Um, but I know people, I know people that have contacted their uh, donor families and have relationships with them. Mm. And it's, you know, it's very special. Refreshing to, to speak with you, Stacey, today, because, um, you know, I feel like anytime, you know, someone sees a child that's either terminally ill, they, you know, they see the bald head, things like that. It's kind of like a thing in our everyone's back of their minds that, oh, that person's going to go to the hospital. They'll get the treatment. They'll get the care that they need. And there's not much more thought that goes to it when in reality, like if figures like yourself weren't involved doing this stuff, literally, I don't think any of that is is possible. Like, the, like you are the face of that thought that is in the back of everyone's mind of they could just go to the go to the hospital they could just get care there's just such an assumption that things will work its way out for that person whether you know it goes up or down but that person will get you know the the need that they have fulfilled and we just completely i feel like blow past the figures that actually do make that happen because if we were to subtract you out of the equation and and say ellie's foundation isn't ex in existence there's people that may not still be here today or they may still be having those struggling issues like the lindsey taylor 
story we, we discussed before. I mean, if, if you're not there for her, there's still mold in that, in that place. And they're having to now face that problem. And maybe there's another organization out there. Maybe they don't work as quick, you know, or maybe there's not another organization and they now have to try to move their medical equipment to another room and hope that the mold doesn't spread into there too. Um, yeah. and, and, and make do. So it's relieving to, to speak with you, to put a, a face to all of this, because I feel like there's so much behind the scenes behind what you do that we all just take for granted because we're kind of, uh, out of sight, out of mind. And the other thing is when you're helping somebody else, you're not thinking about yourself. You're thinking about the other person. So yes. yes. You know, so, you know, especially like if I'm feeling sorry for myself, those are the times that I really have to make sure that I go out of my way to help another person because then I'm not, you know, thinking of myself and, you know, oh, woe is me and all this, you know, you're yeah. there for somebody else. And, um, and I think that you're right. I think that you, you get a lot out of giving, the giver gets just as much as the person that's getting. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think, I think, and, and you probably know a lot more about this than I do being in, in the field of, of nonprofits too. When you speak with other people who run other organizations, there's probably just a, a, a glow in them, you know, and, and a happiness um, that you kind of sense when you start speaking with them, you know, that they're kind of um, proud of what they do and just the, the overall feeling of being fulfilled and, and happy with life, you know, cause they do help but, other people. Yes. And at the same time, it's, it's a business and you're working and, um, people tend to get very caught up in that. And, um, it's funny that you mentioned this because, um, I just started this recently because we would be working and helping somebody and then we would help them. And then we would be moving on to the next person and not really taking the time to experience that feeling of joy and accomplishment yeah. and, um, you know, it was just moving on to the next. Yeah. And so we just, it was just this past week. That's why it's funny that you bring this up. <laughs> we decided that when we did that, we were going to take time. We were going to listen to a song, you know, the song I of the tiger. Yes. Yes. <laughs> and so we take a moment, we listen to that song and we just, you know, like we'll dance around and, um, uh, yeah. yeah, it's, it's kind of like your champagne. It's exactly what it is. It's champagne. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. It's good to to have that too because you really need that. You can't skip that step. Yeah. Yeah, I think a lot of times, um, especially with with super super hard workers uh, like yourself too, it just you kind of you start the process, you get in the process, you complete it, but then you you don't do that final step which is um you know kind you have of to celebrate the wins acknowledging too what you've yeah done, which is really yeah. what it's doing you're acknowledging it's complete and it's done and yep. um, your body needs that feeling I yes think, um after everything you've put in because ultimately that's what it's all about mm. you know that's what it's all about yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. Um, I can relate in more ways than one when it comes to skipping that, though, because it's I think just, most people do. Yeah, we're just on to the next because we don't view it as like a necessity. Right. You know, like, um, and, and it really is. It really is because it, it keeps your longevity, it keeps it sustainable. Yes. You know, it's it, you burn it, out otherwise. Yeah, yeah. And it's really a marathon if you want to keep it going. Um, yeah. It's an interesting point with that. Um, it's, um, it's been it's been absolutely awesome speaking with you, Stacy. Today, I gotta say, I've learned quite a lot about cystic fibrosis, the the process, the important work that you guys do. That's just um, thank you. That's that so much goes into it. You know, the logistics, the behind the scenes that you know doesn't really get. I feel like the the credit that it should. Cause you're helping random people, you know, that's yeah. the thing. Um, it's not, it's not people and it's random people and it's people that most likely will never be able to do anything for you. And I think that that speaks to the authenticity of you guys and, and what you do and, and the genuine part about it, because, you know, it's easy to do something for someone when, you know, there might be something in return or down the road, but, um, you know, just when you're doing it for someone who's can't do anything for you, it is strictly goodwill. The intention is pure. I know um, you guys have a lot of great info on your website on elliesarmy.org on different ways to help. If you guys want to, if anyone wants to read more about you guys or contact or reach out, there's a lot of different ways people can help. It's not, you know, if you don't have money to donate or or anything like that there's a lot of different ways that more than one that you can help equally yeah uh, that doesn't have to be financial you know there's a there's a couple right on the website i'm looking now ways to help celebrate for ellie's fun on special occasions birthdays holidays weddings ask your friends or family you can make a, a donation or a gift you can host events barbecues ask guests to come and you know even if it's just five dollars for that little picnic table right. over there another five dollars yep. for this table you can organize car washes in her name too which is always a classic and then the restaurant fund fundraisers too i think is uh an amazing way too that people don't think about that a lot of a lot of restaurants have things in their corporate structures to help um, yes nonprofits. and this you know if you're in washington or oregon right now and you know ellie's army is based in miami you can still help by just going to a restaurant and asking um, them to host an ellie's army day where a portion of the proceeds will go to the foundation and you know a lot of these restaurants are applebee's boston market chipotle panera yeah go up there and they can really have everything set up for you in probably just a couple of minutes anywhere so yeah it's um, true it's true that's uh it's a lot of great and even just sharing, you know, going on our um, social media and um, which is at Ellie's Army Foundation. Mm. Um, our website is Ellie's Army, E-L-L-I-E-S Army, A-R-M-Y dot org, O-R-G. And um, yeah, I mean, just, you know, join our army. Yeah, <laughs> that's great. I um, reach out to me if you uh, you know have any questions or want to talk about ways to get involved. Yeah, yeah, and and volunteering too. I it's not a lot of people think it's just like it's going to take up their whole time. It's a full time thing. I mean, they can 
volunteer pretty much at at their pace, right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Thanks so much for for coming. Thank you for asking me. I appreciate it. It's been a great conversation. No, no problem. And, and the best of luck to you guys too. I will absolutely be rooting for you and be your best cheerleader um, here. On Thank you. Because um, Thank you. What you guys do is great. So um, I appreciate that. Thanks so much, Stacy. And looking forward to catching up down the road. I'd love to do um, another podcast with you down the road, maybe like in a, you know, in, in like a year from now, kind of touch base and hope. Absolutely. We're, we're Anytime. The, and um, I'm sure I'll, I'll, I'll see you then. All right. Terrific. Thank you so much, Daniel. Yep. All right. Stacy. Take care. You too.